Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We spoke earlier today to Andrew Pelea, who is the CEO of Vast Resources, uh, London-listed, uh, soon-to-be producer, polymetallic, but chasing copper, uh, 22 million market cap. If you want our opinion on the conversation and indeed the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports, uh, commentary from market experts from around the world on a variety of commodities and companies. There are training videos, also a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other. Go there now to cruxinvestor.com forward slash club to sign up. Andrew, how are you doing, sir? Very well. Nice to see you again. Yeah. we Now, you were reminding me, we met in London. In fact, you named the street and probably the building um, <laughs> back in 2018. So uh, your memory's not in uh, doubt here. So uh, how, have, how have you been since then? What have you been doing? Very well. It's been a busy few years. Yeah. Um, you know, restructuring the business and doing a lot of travel, but it's been an exciting time. So enjoying what I'm doing. Now. Good, good, good. So where are you now? Are you in country? I'm in Bucharest. Bucharest. I'm in Bucharest. Are you living there permanently? I have been for 15 years. Um, I do travel quite a bit. I used to travel a bit to London pre-COVID, but um, yeah, no, I've been here 15 years in various businesses, but focused on the mining sector for the last eight. Right. We have not had a COVID report from Romania. You're going to be our first. So what's happening? Um, well, interestingly, uh, the ca- number of cases have risen since lockdown, I think, earlier in April this year. However, the government's taken quite a positive stance saying we're not going to shut down the economy by going into full lockdown. What they're doing is in regional areas where they've got the high rate of, you know, I think it's uh, three out of every thousand or whatever it is, the the ratio, they're locking them down for seven days or 14 days until the numbers come back down and then then they're reopening. But it's free travel throughout the country. I I actually did a day trip to the north part of the country the other day for a due diligence at uh, the Mayela mine, and I flew in and flew out, and I had no issues. Fantastic, good. Okay, well, look, why don't you kick off? Give us a one-minute overview of what your business is, and then I'll, I'll pick it up from there. Okay. Um, well, the primary focus of the business, and has been for the last uh, twelve to eighteen months, has been the reopening of the Bay Supply Mine, which is the polymetallic mine in the uh, southwestern part of Romania. We acquired it in two thousand and fifteen. Well, uh, the the joint venture partner. At, Acquired it in 2015. Uh, Vast got involved as a as an earning back in uh, mid 2015. We spent three years uh, fighting for the license, which we finally obtained in October 2018. Uh, we got the finance through in uh, January of this year, and in just under nine months, we've brought it back into production. And it's a polymetallic mine with uh, quite a high copper, lead, zinc, silver, gold, molybdenum, and tungsten um, ore body. It's in a scan deposit, uh, and it's uh, it's quite an interesting mine because since the 1950s until 2014, they only mined one of 16 scans. So it's only the tip of the iceberg, um, and it's a very high value in a limestone host. In and it's actually quite easy to extract and produce a very high quality copper concentrate. Uh, in also in Romania, we've got the Manayela mine. We've been on care and maintenance when I took over as CEO, and uh, I'm sure there, you've got some questions on that later. And in Zimbabwe, we're awaiting for COVID to be over and to resume where we were this time last year and sign the joint venture agreements to um, mine in the community concession in Chancellor in the Marangi Diamond Fields. Okay, brilliant. Thanks, thanks for the summary, Andrew. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I do, I do want to get into some of those in detail, some of those, but just starting at a high level, I'm trying to understand mm-hmm. what the plan is. You've had a difficult two or three years, um, sure. and you know, since 2015 to now, there's a lot of uncertainty and not a lot of action. So I'm, I'm intrigued as to why you stepped in and taken over um, and what you're planning to do, because you small company mm-hmm. you've taken care of the single asset risk because you've got multiple assets there's a lot there's a lot of uh, optionality here i'm interested in the sequence of events as well so maybe start off with and say what what is the new business plan that you would like to communicate to the market well the first thing i did when when i stepped in in, in 2018 was take a holistic look at the company and the company was i believe trying to do too many things at once and not doing one thing properly we had, um, we, we had the Pixton Peerless Gold Mines in Bubway historically, which we owned 100% of. The company had spent in excess of $17 million getting a jaw, getting reports, doing the drilling program, drilled it like Swiss cheese. They brought on a, uh, an investor that acquired 50% to get it up and operational. Um, and then uh, we end up selling another 25% and the company effectively lost control. It was a good business. It was well-managed but you had issues with fidelity over there about the gold sales directly to the government, getting parts paid in RTGS. And you had a partner that had a lot more money than we did and didn't want to um, provide any dividends, went on a capital spend, which was potentially more dilutionary, acquired more assets, which we would have had to fund. And the the worst part about it from from a business perspective was that we were consolidating that asset because we theoretically had management control, practically had management control on paper, but we didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel. We were carrying $40 million worth of debt on our books where there was no visibility for extracting any of those funds into the company and it was prohibiting us from doing any other traditional debt finance and it was quite a difficult deal to extract ourselves from. So we decided to sell it, basically walk away without carrying any of the debt um, and, and reduce some of the debt we had with that particular partner and then focus on the remaining assets. We also had the Manayila mine, which we acquired in 2015. And uh, I was involved in that acquisition and I was running the Romanian projects. It was a very good mine and still is a very good mine. However, the intention of the business plan from day one was to build a pit, uh, sorry, a plant at the pit, which um, because the, the flotation plant's 30 kilometres away from the, from the pit. And then the tailings dam was 17 kilometres away from that. So around 30 to 35%, if you include all the peripheral costs, were transportation. Now, that's your margin. And when, when we took it over and, and copper was at 6,900, and by the time the next years followed, at one stage, copper was down to $4,300 a tonne, and you take into account 35% of your costs of transport, um, the company continued mining it against Romanian management's um, advice to say we should stop, preserve the ore, build the plant at the pit, save that 30% and move forward. So when I took over, we assessed it. We said we'd rather conserve it. We had managed to get another jork on the rest of the resource and the expansion, which is about 5 million tonnes of measured indicated in the third and 15, 15 further million tonnes in exploration area based on historical drilling results and uh, pre-communist data, uh, sorry, communist time data. And so it's a 2.4, 2.5% copper equivalent 
uh, mine with potentially uh, a 25-year life of mine that requires no more than 10 to $15 million of investment, um, that in any standard, that is actually a world-class asset. But it take, it'll take three years to implement and it will take $15 million. So the decision we made as a management team and a board was to say, let's leave anything that has high capital intensity um, aside for the moment and focus on the near-term cash assets. And that's when we decided to go with Baitza. It has, you know, just to replace the shafts there today would cost you $60 million. Okay. So it had, almost, you know, okay. so that was the, the focus of business is to focus on one asset at a time. Okay, that was a lot of detail. So can, can, I, can I just kind of break that down a little bit, just make it easier Certainly. for me to digest? Is So Zimbab- no, no Zimbabwe, diamonds, it, are you going to be spending money on that, yes or no? Yes. Right. Um, the the mine was a gold asset, and we decided in Zimbabwe we'll focus on the diamond assets. Why? That doesn't seem it's, – it's incongruous to the rest of the organisation being in Romania and polymetallic. Why are you chasing diamonds? Well, that's where we started. The company started in 2006. Why are you still holding on to it? Why are we still holding on to it? Because it's a very valuable asset. We're in a unique position where we'll be the only company in Zimbabwe who's not a government organisation who will have the right to mine diamonds and their alluvial asset. So the first part, it has historic grade. It's a very low cost of production and a very near-term cash flow. And we have expertise in in the country and in the company to enable us to bring near-term positive cash flow to our shareholders. That's the reason why. I I noticed you you talk about projections of, you know, $13.25 million per quarter with, Mm -hmm. I think, only 7.25 of of costs, plus Mm -hmm. as a 5 million initial capex. So you're you're treating that potentially, because it's diamonds, it's not guaranteed, a way of generating cash to help your business in Romania. Is that the way you're viewing it? It's, it's not, it? not necessarily. It could be in addition to accelerating some of the assets we have in Romania already, but it's a sta- as a standalone business, it is a viable business and we strongly believe in it because it has some relative certainty attached to it. Unlike other diamond alluvial assets, this has a history. We know exactly where we're going to be mining. We know exactly what's in the ground. So you've taken an element of risk out of it. In any mining operation, there's risk. But in this particular one, it's, it's highly de-risked. So I, I get you know where you're going to be mining, but you're telling me you, you know what's under the ground. Absolutely. That's going to be a first for a miner. So why are you so confident? Because there was a lot of research done there prior to us uh, coming into this particular concession area. Um, it, and not only that, the company had done a lot of research on that area historically, so we do know what is there. Okay. I, do, do you think the market appreciates, because diamonds is difficult, right? We've Most interviewed definitely. a few diamond companies. Uh, yes. you know, everyone's struggling. It's not, not a good environment at the moment. Um, and to be meaningful, to be able to generate cash, know where you fit in the marketplace, to get finance, quite frankly, is difficult. So that's why I'm asking why, why stick with it? Well, we've actually got the finance ready on relatively good terms. It's from, and that's the reason why we went with the current funder is because it was a two-part facility. But on the diamond portion, it's actually um, a better facility than it was for the Romanian portion because there was a it was a different risk factors for them. Okay, so you think that's the best use of the money you've been able to raise? Diamonds, that's a good thing. You're happy well, we haven't actually decision. raised money for the diamonds other than the initial studies and the initial investment. It's been very low cost carrying throughout the last year and a half. So to my point then is how do you raise money for it going forward given the current environment for diamonds? 
we have a debt facility in place for once we do sign. Okay, specifically for the diamonds? Specifically for the diamonds. Right. And what are the securities, guarantees, et cetera, you're going to need to sign for, uh, to be able to get that debt facility well, in place? Well, it, it will be, of course, a security asset back over the assets that will be invested in the country. And then it's above and beyond that, there will be warrant security risk in the event of failure to repay. On, on the on the public from the public company on the, on the public company right and, and again what what two times three times when was the coverage requirement on that debt the, the well it's a sliding scale um, effectively what we've and we've disclosed to the market is but is a, I think from memory if I'm and I stand corrected it's twenty four me twenty four month repayment at two x on the investment what does that mean what's that convert into that means if we borrow five million we have to pay back ten million in two years. So we fixed the cost. Wow. Wow. That's, That's expensive. Well, yes and no. If you look at the if you look at the downside model, in particularly for this asset, it's actually a repayment within six months. That's, that's after maintaining costs. So I, would say that, I say that's punchy. And that's why that's why I'm kind of pushing you on this one. I want to understand why put time, money, and effort into this area versus what you feel that you've got in Romania. You know, whether this is distraction or not, whether it's expensive money or not, you've got to put up security, et cetera. You know, it's, it, I get that's historic and there's some legacy attachment to it, but does it really make sense? Most definitely. I mean, from a business perspective, I agree with you in a normal circumstance with a normal alluvial uh, diamond mine, there is a high risk attached to it. But when you have the level of information certainty that we have attached to this particular concession, it is a fairly... It's a more of a non-dilutive way to get it into production, and it's of more certainty. I mean, there are there is the opportunity to split the company and and have the diamonds as a separate business, but we don't think it's long term in the shareholders' interest to do so. Okay, let's go to Romania, where you are. Um, you've got five assets. One you've explained it, why you put it into care and maintenance. Okay, Correct. that seems to make sense. Uh, mm -hmm. Get focused. So, can we just talk? I just want to be able to park them up. Can we talk about the other three assets uh, over and up, um, over and above uh, Baita? Um, mm -hmm. Where where are they? Because one, but you've got two appraisal projects and one development project. It says yes. here. Um, mm -hmm. So, where are they? Are they also parked up for now? Any money needing to be spent on them? Time, money, and effort, and all of that. I mean, the the money that's being spent on them is actually quite insignificant in comparison to the value. Um, for example, if you're referring to the Zagra or Pichoro Zimbra or Magura Negra, um, they were prospecting targets uh, that we've done all the work on. We actually brought in external money to do that um, and gave away a bit of the project. It's now in the process of moving into the application for an exploration. That is a it's a it's a, a tier one asset. It will require a farming of some description from a major if it does prove to be what the historic grades and historic drilling analysis it is something that is, as a junior, we would be unable to do on our own. And we're quite uh, open to admit that because it will require significant investment. So that will be one that we're in time when we have positive cash flow and the availability of funds to invest in a further exploration, it will be one that we will bring in a major player to work with. Okay, and um, how much money would you need to spend on those to get to the point where you could bring in a major or otherwise Mm -hmm. um, to to develop that project because you're going to need some data and it's got to be a bit of more than I, I would we well the budget says that it needs around two to three million dollars worth of investment 
which is not a huge amount because basically you would be drilling to verify historic data to enable you to, to produce a jork. Um, that is also something we're looking at bringing in a partner to fund. But if all goes well and Baitsa is producing the forecasted profits, we sh that's, that's uh, you know, you're talking two months worth of free cash out of one mine to be able to facilitate that. However, we would uh, like to preserve cash as much as possible for our other assets where we, we can control completely. And, you know, that will be a secondary asset target. And also you're talking about over a period of five years, that two million to three million while you go through the exploration process. Okay. What so it's not a huge amount of money. No, 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 no understood, understood. Just wanted to know where you are with it and where it is in your head in terms of, you know, the, the sequencing. So, and what about Blueberry Project? Blueberry is, is another asset that we are managing that we've raised external money for. Um, for to get it to through the exploration stage, it's going into the, it's got the application for the exploitation license. Again, it's something that hasn't been pushed for the moment. Uh, that will be a separate business, an IPO, um, a separate IPO because we are not the majority there. It'll be a standalone with its own management team, and we will assist in that, obtain a, a management fee for putting it all together and restructuring it, and retaining around twenty five percent post dilution. Got it. Okay. Brilliant. We've dealt with all, all the outliers. Let's mm -hmm. let's look at the main the, the main uh, attraction here. Um, yeah. So tell us what you're doing with this. Okay. So what you've you're obviously focusing on one asset. Great. Uh, you're managing your money. I mean, obviously. I mean, how, how have the markets been for you? Because you're it says here twenty two and a half million market cap today. Seventeen cents. It's been has it been a tough couple of years? Is, and, and why do you it's think that is? It's been it's been a tough couple of years because. I'll go back in history. Uh, the majority of our shareholders were Zimbabwe-based. Um, they exited prior to me coming on as CEO. Some of them have come back in as shareholders. But the majority of our business is retail, which is great for liquidity and unfortunate for long-term stability. So part of the mandate of the management team has been to attract uh, institutional investment. Uh, we strongly believe, and you know, the proof will be in the pudding, that we're highly undervalued. And I think the, the the legacy of some of the, the debt facilities that we put in place um, have attributed to that. But um, now that we've got a producing asset, and I still say that if you compare this asset to other mining assets, the time it's taken to bring it into production, the cost attached to that, um, it's been a very inexpensive way to get a, a very, very valuable asset. So. We think we've spent just over $10 million over the last five years to put a $100-plus million asset with what we know, which is only 5% of the license area, uh, into production and to generate free cash. And I don't know many mines that are operationally profitable after the first two months of production. No. So tell us why you can say that. There's got to be some history to it. You're, 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 you, you talk about inheriting $50 million bucks worth of infrastructure, obviously, there's going to be some money you're going to need to spend yourself on that. So how, how do you get to where we're free cash flowing after two months? Well, the mine has operated. I mean, originally it was uh, mined by the Romans for its gold cap. Um, and then again in the 1200s, then again in the early 1900s. And it was a mechanised mining operation from the late 1950s until 2014 where they sunk three shafts. There's, uh, you know, 16 levels already of of uh, infrastructure underground, 
We are now mining on level 17 and 18, where there were already open stakes, pre-prepared galleries, a flotation plant, infrastructure, buildings, power, water, um, where if you were to replace that today, it would cost you anywhere between 60 and $100 million, which is, it's not easy. I mean, it's not difficult. Each shaft today at that level would cost you $20 million a piece. So whether you would go and start mining there without spending tens of millions of dollars of drilling to further resource, probably the answer is no. But with what we've got, and we've just released a jork of uh, the 608,000 tonnes, which is uh, measured indicated and inferred, uh, we've got a his historic, um, under the Russian code, another 1.88 million at very high grade, approximately 6% copper equivalent. that can't be included in the jork because of the audit trail. Um, and then there's another 1.2 million exploration target, which comes from another area within the mine where we have got historic data, but again, can't be categorised in jork. So you've got approximately you know, anywhere between three and four million tonnes that is mineable over the course of the next three to seven years. And it also gives us the opportunity with the free cash being generated to then continue the exploration and expand that resource as well. Okay. So talk to me about jorks because um, people get very confused um, when it yes. comes to jorks because there's information which you, the companies can choose to re release and uh, information that it doesn't have to release, so it doesn't. So. I, I can't. Not, I, I not necessarily true. If under the code, under the code, and, and quite frankly, we have this this internal battle because our our COO and chief geologist is he is a competent person. Um, not yeah. that many companies have an in-house competent person, so they have to outsource. But it is the rule of thumb that if you have a competent person, they do your jork. Otherwise, you're paying money for nothing or twice. Um, and it, but it's not. They, it's not. It's not etiquette, is it? I think you know people want to see it. Well, I, I know some people do it, but I think generally, you know, a, a, a truly unbiased and, um, you know, outsider should be doing your job report, shouldn't they? I, I have not met, uh, have not seen a mining company, especially a junior that has a competent person, first of all, on their payroll full time. Second of all, with the history and the, the pedigree of Craig. Um, who is also, if you would meet him, you would know that he is extremely black and white and he would, under no circumstances, risk his uh, credibility or his status within, you know, the ability to jork or samaric for the sake of, um, you know, not doing a report 100%. And I can tell you now, I, have, I can sp specifically tell you that in the current drilling, there were some holes that were outside on the perimeter that when, it, when they were brought into the jork, brought the average grade down on the inferred, and the debate was, well, why don't we drop them? And he said, that's not in the code. Simple as that. So, okay, so you, you've you've had the job done by Craig Harvey, mm -hmm. I think. Um, okay, Correct. that's who we're talking about, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. I'm I, I struggling in the PowerPoint to sort of try and understand the economics around it. I know you say we're going to get, we're going to be cash, free cash flowing, you know, very, very quickly mm -hmm. after, you know, just yes. a couple of months. Um, where, the, where are the numbers that we can look at to try and understand recovery rates um, and try and understand the, you know, the true economics behind this, you know, what, where the margins are. I'll put it into perspective. And this is something that maybe not coming from a pure mining background. I mean, I've been in the industry for eight years, but coming from the private sector, we do things a little bit different. Um, do you go and spend, and I'll give you the example of Pixton Peerless, where the company historically spent $17 million to get all the reports into place to end up selling it a lot cheaper than the investment, or do you spend that money and bring it into production and let the asset speak for itself, which is in the event, in the case of Baeza. So yes, we could have gone out, drilled it like Swiss cheese, 
we could have produced some wonderful magic reports for a cost of 10 million or bring it into production for 3.8 million and start to generate the cash that will start coming in from the end of next week. So, which then you can do your drilling program as you go. We've got four years already of predetermined mining space. We know exactly what's there. It's an area that has never been drilled before. We've got the historic grades and historic drilling results, plus what we've just done, and where we know that the asset is there. We've got you know, 50 years of data to be able to um, cement in our mind the viability of the asset. And based on that, we have produced a, let's say, a 24-month cash flow plan that I think we released on either September 7th or October 7th this year that shows that using conservative estimates on the historic numbers that were produced in the mine with only implementing improvements that are done by, let's say, grinding solution, which is the MET test work, and applying those recipes, that there is our minimum targets for the next 24 months, which is where those cash flows are produced. Okay. So it's it's unconventional. Is that fair it's, to say? Yes. Right? But the, the question is, do you want to make money or do you want to have pretty reports? That is the, that's the fundamental question that is, yes, I agree, it's unconventional, but very rarely do you get a brownfield asset that you can virtually walk in there and restart and start making money. So you have to be a little bit unconventional to add value for shareholders. Right. And you have been putting out press releases, it seems, on a weekly basis. I mean, you're, you're talking to the market. Yes. You are talking to the market. That's I, I, what mean, I got a couple of pages, <laughs> couple of pages were there. But they're not getting it. The share prices are on a downward trend. You haven't seen that, given how near a term you're telling me you are and how quickly you get into free cash flow. The market's not getting it. What, what do you think the problem is? Because 22 million market cap, it's... It's highly undervalued. And I completely agree with you. Um, and as I said... There have been some false storms. There was a lot of legacy that needed to be cleaned up, which people don't understand. Um, it's been a difficult three years to, to remove all the skeletons from the closet, um, which we've now done. And as I said, it's, we've got a, the cleanest uh, annual report in the company's history. We have very little debt compared to the value of our assets. We're, we're a very low cost producer. And all of that takes time to put in place. And there has been uh, dilution which the, the retail shareholders really don't uh, appreciate, which is probably the cause for the, the lack of movement in the share price. But we were not in a position to be able to get the institutions into the company until we had proven concept. We're in a jurisdiction where every other company that has tried to be here has failed. There is not one major that has, and they've all tried to enter Romania. So we're in a unique position where we've got a, let's say, a monopoly or a first mover advantage. We're the only non-Aris mining company in Romania. And I can tell you, every major player you can think of has tried to be here. And we've succeeded. We've successfully opened an open pit and an underground mine. And it's the first time. And it hasn't been an easy task. It takes a little bit longer. And it's a little bit more unconventional, unconventional than going to Australia or America or even Africa where there's a sophisticated um, mining uh, legislation. You, you, I mean, you're positioning that like it's a positive. The, the trouble for institutions is they've got no peer analysis, no comps they can do on you. Right. And if you're, okay, you're mostly 99% retail, I suspect, um, it's, it, yeah. it's, that's going to be a tough grind for you guys. So t- We've been through that tough grind. Right. We're there now. We're now in production, and now the assets can speak for itself, and we're already engaged with institutions. They just want to see proof of concept. Meaning what? I want to see what? What do they want to see? They want to see that we are producing what we say we can can produce and they want to see that 
well, the grade and the ore and the infrastructure and the deliveries are as per what we've announced. Okay, so remind me today, what, what is it that you said you would produce? We've said, um, originally we said in month one, we will produce about 150 tonnes of copper concentrate. We'll be delivering over 350 next week. In month two, um, somewhere around 150 tonnes of copper concentrate. In month three, which should be December, or probably January, July, for December production, around 200 tonnes of copper concentrate, and we'll be stockpiling, but we'll have in stock um, some zinc or um, concentrate as well. Then we go to a ramp up of 350-odd tonnes a month for January, February, and March, and then we get to full production of 600 to 650 tonnes of copper concentrate and around 100 tonnes of uh, zinc concentrate per month and 50-odd lead. Okay. And, and is that's that, what is we've that, given to the market. Right, that's what we've given to the market, and that, that's peak. Well, that's peak for now. Um, then we're, we're bringing in a second line, uh, which will, no, I mean, the, 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 the bottleneck in the, in, the, in the mine is not in the ore and it's not in the plant itself. It's got an installed capacity of 27,000 tonnes a month, but there's a haulage capacity bottleneck of 16,000 tonnes a month. Um, which we cannot address until we get deeper into the mine and find an alternative extraction method. So that's under development, and we're already ahead of schedule on that decline development. Tell me what that means. Tell me what that means. That means that we've got we've got uh, we've got the shafts for ingress and egress for the ore, which goes on one cubic meter wagons. You can only haul so many per hour per shift. So there are two options. Actually, there are three. One is to do a raise ball. Uh, when we get down to level 20, which will be 12 to 18 months from now, uh, where we can do a, a, but this needs to be, this will be a development uh, over time, where we can take a conveyor straight to the plant, where we, we can we can do more. The other one, the other option is, but it's a highly unlikely, it needs to go through a test phase of where we pre-crush underground and we run it through an XRT and bring up ore, where we can then increase capacity. And the third option is one that we're addressing right now and if it all works, we can probably get it implemented by the middle of next year, is to have uh, double-decker cages. But that will require increasing capacity on the on the cables, on the on the lift haulage system, on the motors, and that is under feasibility at the moment. So there are options for increasing uh, capacity, and if we increase capacity, we can get to 12 to 1,500 tonnes a month. And the difference between, for example, this particular ore and our Manaila ore is the grade is twice as good and the extraction, and most importantly, the recoveries are greater. So where you're getting 60 70% in some mines, we're getting between 88 and 92% recovery. So you only have to produce almost half as much to get the same value in the concentrate. Right. Is what the institutions are looking for also about when you start making money? Free cash flow is one thing, but you're talking about a lot of investment going back into this to kind of get things not, not, working. By the way, that's free cash after capital investment. Right, as you've just laid out to me. Yeah, exactly. So all of that, all of that implementation of the growth of the business, the decline, the the cash flows that we presented in October seventh or September seventh are net after the investment plan. Okay. So what? So what are you delivering cash wise? Year one. What's your spend? Was the net? Uh, year one, I can't remember the spend. Oh, well, we're actually a very low cost producer, all in somewhere between, including royalties around $63, $64 a tonne, which is cheaper than most open pits globally. Normally you're talking in the $120 to $125 a tonne. We're producing a copper concentrate over 30% on average, which is almost double 
well, not quite double, but generally around 20, 22% is the average concentrate. So we're getting one third more per tonne of our concentrate. And we've also got a high lead, uh, sorry, a high gold and a high silver content. So it's actually quite a valuable concentrate. It's a sweetener for a lot. So, which isn't really produced in mass generally. So after all costs and capex spend year one, we're talking about $9 million of free cash because we are doing a lot of decline development. And from year two on, we're talking in, in excess of 14, $14.5 million if you take into account current market prices, not futures prices, which put that up by another 25, 30%. But we've also got to look at the downside modeling and, and be quite conservative. Um, and the thing is the fixed costs remain the same. Uh, and the more we produce, that higher that margin increases. Okay. You've got all the relevant licenses, permits, EIA that you need. You, yes. you're, you're, we have all the licenses to operate in the life. Fantastic. What are the other bottlenecks for the business not succeeding? What are the, what are the causes for well, perhaps failing? Well, for this particular mine, I can I can honestly tell you that other than the commodity prices crashing, I mean, if, if, if silver goes, oh, sorry, silver, if Copper goes down below 4,000, that's our break even. So, you know, um, all of our models were originally done on $4,300 a tonne uh, of copper. Uh, I think at the time when we did our first modelling, it was back in 2014. Gold was at 1150 or just, yeah, just on 1150 and everybody was forecasting $900 an ounce and silver was sitting between 12 and $13 an ounce. So now we've got silver futures at $24, gold's touching on $1,900 and above, and copper running to $8,500 according to most of the reports by 2025, but we've managed, we're keeping it at about $6,500, $6,500 our current models to be safe. Okay, so is there a joke summary that we can get access to? There's a joke summary on our website, and okay. the full joke should be up there probably, I'm not quite sure, but probably next week in right. detail. What we will be doing over the course of the next three months is outsourcing, um, which is not a priority for the business, but it will be for further institutional investment going forward. Once we've got through that six month primary period of production, we've now got a tier one banking of doing a refinance uh, where we're at, at the end of uh, this month, we're expecting a binding term sheet and final credit, credit, credit committee approval in December with a view to you know, drawing down the facility prior to Christmas. That's what we're anticipating. Um, and once we've got that in place, I think that will attract a lot of institutional investment because it is a, quite a, a healthy name being attached to our business and they've gone through a thorough due diligence. They started in March this year. Um, and But we will probably develop over the course of time a PFS that can be published by an independent third party. Okay. Um, just so you're going to grow organically, right? That you, that's the this, intention. That's the intention, right? And you're staying in Romania. Leap parking diamonds to one side. Romania mm -hmm. is the focus. You think you've got an edge there because the big boys have failed to successfully enter the country. Correct. Right. Um, we do believe that there is an opportunity in some of our bigger assets, farming in with the bigger boys, using our local knowledge and local success that they can leverage off that. And, you know, sometimes the old saying, you better be 10% of something than 100% of nothing on these bigger assets. Um, where we can add value to the major players, potentially a takeover target, but I think that's many years away from now. Okay, so how do you intend to kind of feed the information into the marketplace? Are you going to be presenting on a quarterly basis your numbers? Correct. Right, that, okay, just to reduce the mania. Yes, oh, most definitely. 
Um, look, the, the mania that has been provided was purely for, uh, for the shareholders. Retail craves information more so than institutional investment. Institutional investment is normally under confidentiality anyway, so they can have access to your monthly management reports, uh, your production reports uh, on a weekly or monthly basis as per the facilities they provide, uh, unless they're all only coming in at the retail level, which happens every now and then, but they normally have a board member attached to that. Um, but retail craves daily, uh, daily information. If you don't provide it, you can see it as a reflection of the share price. For under our current debt facility, we, we're trying to maintain a share price and increase the share price uh, for the benefit of our shareholders. So we're not doing it because we want to, because everyone's extremely busy. We run a very tight ship um, and it is time consuming. But if that's what our shareholders want, that's what we do. Okay. So no more dilutive raises. You're going out for structured finance debt. That is the okay. intention. Fantastic. Yes. How many shares do you hold? At the moment? Mm. Um, Personally, 81 million plus another 59 million in the family trusts and another 20. So uh, a reasonable amount, but put it into perspective. A majority of my shares were bought in 2015 at 1.4p and 1.2p. So my average for, let's say, a combined family total of 140 million shares is sitting somewhere around 0.6.7. So we're deep underwater. We're aligned with shareholders as a family. You need this to work. Have you bought any recently? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I bought retail, um, I think 20, I can't remember, I remember the value, I think it was 10 or 15 million shares at 0.169. I was inside, so I couldn't participate at a certain point because the annual accounts uh, were about to be published and some other information. So I bought retail after the, not the last raise, the raise before. So right. yeah, I bought at most of my shares, or quite a few shares this year. I brought my average down from 0.8 to 0.65, I think. Okay. Okay. And how much cash have you got in the company at the moment? Um, well, that's not public. I mean, but people could do the math. We just did a raise and we haven't really spent much. <laughs> so let me ask you, did you have much cash before the raise? Just, yes. You did? How much did you have yes. before the raise? Uh, that's not public information. That's not public information. My goodness. Not a lot of people can do the math. I'm sorry. I, I'd love to tell you, but we, we are sitting on sufficient cash to, to meet our obligations. Right. Okay, and pay our bills, and, pay and not only that, we'll be we'll be cashing in more money hopefully by the end of next week. Okay, okay. Well, I guess we will stay in touch and see how things are progressing on the production side, and hopefully we'll get a be able to maybe go do some homework and work out some numbers about how much cash you've got and, <laughs> and what, good luck. And what the joke numbers are um, yeah. telling us. Okay, I think that would be really interesting. Just one thing on the joke that people may misunderstand is on the expiration target, there is a range in there that says 0.5 to 2% copper. That is not an average grade. That is a minimum to a maximum. And if you look at uh, in 2.4.1 in the jaw, you'll see that the average is actually towards the top end because it's that historical number. Okay. Just okay. Well, it, now we've made touch at least, um, we can maybe start tracking the story and sort of seeing that, you know, you're consistently delivering us as we move forward, I think, you know, and uh, certainly a bit more clarity in the market with regards to, you know, outputs, I think will um, will help. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. 
We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.